Showtime. Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland, and welcome one and all to Night Fright. Get the coffee going, get the tea going, get a beverage of your choice going. We've got a great show for you tonight, folks. A new book out called A UFO Hunter's Guide, and our guest tonight is Brett Luter. And um, just let me read you a little bit about what we're going to be discussing tonight, because this is absolutely incredible. Alien abductions, crop circles, repeated UFO sightings, mysterious men in black suits with glowing eyes. And yes, Brett, I can affirm the fact that we do have them here in Canada. They live in Ottawa. We call them politicians, however. Conspiracies and government cover-ups. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, UFOs are part of our culture. Without question, we're going to go there tonight. Uh, But how to sort out fact from fiction. Now, this is what's plagued so many people for so long and as you know most of the guests I've had on my show are the authentic deal and Brett is no exception to that and where to begin in self-education of a topic shrouded in so much rumor and speculation a UFO hunter's guide has the answers the facts figures people terminology places and events that make up the modern scope of UFOlogy and explains them in thorough yet digestible chapters and subchapters Folks, don't go anywhere. UFOs all night on Night Fright, starting right now. Strap in and hang on. Here we go. There is a time for There is a time for answers. There is a time for challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Welcome to Mayfield. Your place in the dark for paranormal conspiracy. Welcome, welcome, one and all. Welcome to Night Fright. I'm your host, Brent Holland. Folks, we're going to be looking at UFOs all night in a new book out by Brett Luter, who's our guest tonight, all the way from Chico, California. And uh, it's called A UFO Hunter's Guide, Sightings, Abductions, Hotspots, Conspiracies, Cover-Ups, The Identified and Unidentified, and more. Brett, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Brent. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you, my friend. Let's jump in right away, shall we? Alien abductions. This is something that has plagued mankind for millennia, I would say. Um, what did you find out about specifically uh, alien abductions and the people who suffer from them? Well, uh, the the only real thing you can say for sure is that there's everyone's still arguing about what they are. Um, we we just talked a little bit off air a moment ago about a study that honestly I had never heard of. Um, uh, by is it Mr. Rutledge? Did you say or Ruchowski? Chris Ruchowski from the University of Winnipeg? Yeah. Um, uh, but and it's just that seemed to fall on the psychological side that makes some very powerful arguments that this is all happening within a, a person's head. Um, you know whether it's false recall or the implantation of memories, uh, sleep paralysis, any number of things. Uh, there are any number of things that can lead to a false recall. Um, and when you see just how easily memory can be manipulated or, or even affected 
without there having been a malicious intent behind it, you know, you really begin to raise an eyebrow as to what's going on. Now, at the same time, you don't want to tell that to somebody who's having one of these experiences because they are very, very real to these people. And so I, I kind of, you know, as I'm getting a little older, I'm kind of moving to this phase in my life where I don't like to argue as much. And so usually, you know, people are pretty intelligent. They're both sides present compelling arguments. Why couldn't the answer be a combination of the both? Um, there is probably some type of a of intended memory uh, uh, alteration if it's if the source of what's going on is external, um, and it could be part of the response to that is to hallucinate. What what I think really comes from all this, and and it's what really should be looked at is what are what what are the information these people bringing back, and how does it affect their lives, and and time and time again, uh, not. Every case is like this, but many people uh, come back spiritually uh, advanced. Uh, let's say They're, they have a bigger scope of the of the universe. They are more uh, benevolent. They want to help people more. They they uh, want to treat animals better. They you know they um, they uh, pay attention more to the inner inner selves, um, if you will. And and so you know wh what can we make of that? It, it what it appears to me to be is some type of evolutionary boost or or you know Jacques Vallée likes to see the UFOs as as an external like uh, uh, evolutionary control mechanism mm -hmm. and abductions could be part of that in a Jacques Vallée scenario um, one I, thing for sure Brett is the people that go through these um, experiences believe them to be self-evident without question and many people right. are traumatized uh, by the way uh, folks Chris Rutowski's theory essentially is I'm gonna have to paraphrase he's done a lot of study of uh, folks that have been abducted if you will and he can trace back a lot of sexual abuse in their youth to that however I want to say that um, I've had several guests on the show and talked to different people. One of the guests I had on the show was, um, I think it was the, the Billy Meyer case. Excuse me, folks, I'm forgetting the name. Anyways, um, he was saying that in his alien abduction, the species that took him looked like a fireman for whatever reason. I was speaking off air to a fellow that a good friend of mine and uh, certainly I'm not going to mention his name because he asked me not to I'd be breaking anonymity. He said he he finally revealed himself to himself and to me that he had had a similar experience when he was a young man and he said he saw the UFO descend in front of him, the door open and out came a fireman. Now these are two people that have no correlation together whatsoever they have never been in contact yet there is that identical experience and identical um, description of what an alien is so there's something there without question and for sure these folks that have gone through this horrible traumatization are experiencing something very real to them. Now, folks, the book is called The UFO Hunter's Guide. Our guest tonight, Brett Luter, is from uh, California, and he's joining us uh, via Skype, as you know. Easy way to get the book, as always, is www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest book cover. That'll take you right to a spot where you can order the book from the comfort of your own home. Now, this is an overview book. Um, he's done a masterful job of taking 
all the rumors, all the mythology, all the facts, including the facts. Some of the folks uh, in this book he's interviewed, you're going to recognize they've been on this show, and he's put them all in one single book. Uh, Stan Friedman's mentioned in the book, for example, the Billy Meyer case also, as I had just mentioned. Let's go to that right away, the Billy Meyer case, because I've just dropped the ball on that one a little bit. I was going to bring that up later on in the show. But let's go there now so people understand what happened to poor Billy. Well, one of the most well-documented cases in, in ufology, uh, right up there with Roswell, um, maybe the Bentwaters case, and a couple others. Uh, Billy Myers, it's, uh, again, is it a hoax? Is it not a hoax? What he, the message that he brings is one of, of spiritual upliftment from where, wherever the source is. Um, but his particular story is pretty incredible, too. And I don't remember the specific details, but I know he, like, got... Uh, caught up somehow in the French Foreign Legion, um, he got into some motorcycle accident, lost an arm, and and when he finally sat down with uh, what he called a, a Pleiadian being named Semyase, um, she informed him that they had to spiritually test him before he would be ready for contact. And what I find fascinating about the whole case, I mean, you know, there's still some of the best pictures in ufology are in those two legendary coffee table books. Um, but what I find most fascinating is that it's yet another example of this pattern of, of spiritual upliftment that you find across a, a, a lot of abductee testimony, a lot of contactee testimony, people that have uh, dreams or visions that may not associate uh, things necessary with aliens or UFOs. Uh, you mentioned uh, firemen earlier. Uh, it kind of jumps out at me. Maybe that's some type of a mask memory um, from some type of... Uh, uh, you know, is it an alien abduction? Would an alien use a fireman as a mask? I, I'm not sure, but that's that's curious for sure. Um, but again, it's this message of spiritual upliftment. And when you receive, when he, as a human being, as as a race, we receive criticism on this level for destroying our planet and for warring with each other and um, and not helping each other like we could be. You've got to raise an eyebrow to whatever it is. Maybe it's just humans that are abducting him and putting this message in there. But that's how far they're willing to go to spread this message that we need to be at peace with each other. You're absolutely right. Very often when they when they do come back, they usually bring a message of humanity, of peace. Um, they have seen the world from a different perspective. They've been able to look at it, the bigger picture, if you will. Um, right. And they usually come back with a message that you're destroying yourselves, don't do it, and yet we seem hell-bent on going down this road of self-destruction for some reason. The book is called A UFO Hunter's Guide. Easy way to get it, www.nightfrightshow.com. UFOs all night with our guest, Brett Luter. Brett, let's uh, talk a little bit some more about some of the things that are in this book and one of the things you touched on was rods now I knew about rods but I didn't know the paranormal I knew the paranormal aspects of them I did not know that they were considered part of the UFOlogy if you will can we talk a little bit about rods and what they are yeah um, if if someone really knows who they are what they are they're not talking um, I first met Jose Escamilla at uh, maybe the 2004 Bay Area UFO Expo I think right in there and um, basically, he filmed rods for the first time in Roswell, New Mexico. And so that's really the only connection to UFOs, really, um, was that it happened in Roswell, where, again, one of the biggest uh, uh, cases in history has taken place. Um, 
but uh, it brings up a, a phenomena that our atmosphere is really just a different kind of an ocean and that there are many, many kinds of beings more than likely swimming around up there that we don't know about. Can you describe uh, a rod for our audience? Because a lot of folks right now don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, a rod, and I filmed them myself. I was uh, pretty blown away when I followed uh, Jose Escamilla's very simple uh, filming protocol and was able to capture one. Um, we got one at the, in the basement of the Chico State uh, 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 video archive, the basement of the libraries where they have their video lab and archive. And I've uh, had technicians working on really good equipment, and this thing came shooting down a, a, a canyon, a drive a waterfall, and just 90 degrees right on camera as it hit the bottom uh, where the rocks were. Um, anyway, what a rod is, no one has captured one. No one has a, a body. So w they don't really know how long they are, but they're speculated to be anywhere from like six inches to maybe hundreds of yards long. Um, they can't really tell. They know how fast they go. Um, Jose Escamilla's legendary video shows a tank uh, firing off several rounds and rods actually going faster than a, one of the rounds. Um, but what they are is a cylindrical-like object with uh, pairs of these fins running down the sides laterally. And they kind of appear to go in an undulating kind of motion in, in uh, unison with each other. I'm not sure if they switch, if that's how they steer. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, that's basically it. They don't even know if the front that's moving forward is the head because there's just so little known about them. I think what we can really take from that is that our atmosphere is an ocean, and it's teeming with life more than likely. And so guys like Trevor James Constable, uh, famous book Sky Creatures, I think it's from 77 or 78, says that there's plasma beings in the, in the atmosphere, and that's what UFOs are. So, you know, in the end, after I write the book, uh, what is a UFO? I, it's all the above. I believe that there's fully a, a, a landscape, a seascape of, of uh, beings in the atmosphere that we don't know of that are indigenous to Earth. Mm -hmm. I think they're interdimensional craft. I think there's physical craft. I think some of them are our own. Some of them may even be from the inner Earth. Um, that's about really the only thing I know. <laughs> Otherwise, everything else is pattern recognition. Right. You know, things jump out at you after you study uh, so many cases. Um, what are those things? Please, go ahead. Go ahead. What are, what are oh, some okay. of those things that uh, have jumped out at you in the patterns? Right. And so to bring back up the abduction testimonies, yes. um, uh, very often you find abductees talking about uh, reptilians or uh, the Anunnaki are returning, mm -hmm. uh, maybe some information about Planet X and its return, the, the kind of uh, cataclysms that may happen, that kind of thing. I've got Taking to stop on, you there. We've got to okay. tell the folks what the Anunnaki are. Okay, sure. Uh, if For those of you who have not followed uh, the work of Zechariah Sitchin, uh, the wonderful 12th planet from 1976 is the book that started off the Earth Chronicle series, documents what, what he claims the Sumerians say were their creators and that their civilization was lowered from heaven and that these beings, to make a long story short, were they called themselves the Anunnaki. They were known as the Nephilim in the Old Testament. So that's, that's what they're talking about, the Anunnaki. And supposedly these Anunnaki are returning in a 3,600-year orbit that uh, many speculation uh, has, much speculation has happened around this, whether it's going to happen in 2012. Um, Sitchin, I don't think, said it was going to happen for another few hundred years. Mm. 
um, uh, Crop Circle guy Steve Canada says that uh, I think it's uh, 2020 somewhere that, that he expects to return. Um, if you take the induction testimony on its own, it's fascinating. But then you start to cross-reference it. Let's go to crop circles. There's been uh, many, many Sumerian symbols that have re been reflected in crop circles, you know, as well as a variety of other type of symbols, hyperdimensional symbols and whatnot. Um, and then also, two markings on craft have been construed at least to be Sumerian symbols. So when you cross-reference these three, you're looking at, wow, the pattern here is that something is returning, and it's possibly, if it's not reptilians, it's... It's uh, beings like reptilians is, is the gist that I get. So, you know, uh, David Jacobs has done some pretty good compelling work on this with his, his few books. And all this information, folks, is in this book. If you're a novice coming towards the UFO phenomena, Will, uh, the culture, this is a great book to start off with because this covers all the bases and then some. Uh, it gives you enough background information to, to be solid in your... Um, in your knowledge about these subjects and uh, it's just easy reading also it's really made for the novice i think uh, this book is terrific uh yeah ufo hunters guide www.nightfrightshow.com our guest tonight the author of course brett luder now brett let's continue uh, along this line now i had mentioned the culture the, the ufo phenomenon now we all see the you know the movies. Uh, Whitley's book was made out of, to a movie. Uh, one of one of my most favorite movies is Science. Um, has Hollywood bastardized what we should be taking seriously, or has it done, in a way, a service in bringing this information forward to the mass public? Uh, great question. Um, you know, I asked Bill Burns this in uh, my second DVD set about uh, you know. UFOs are on coffee cups and T-shirts and baseball caps and bumper stickers. And, yeah, everywhere. And does that, does that add credibility to ufology? Does that help ufology or is it a detriment? And I'm going to give you a similar answer to what he gave me, and that was that it's both. You, you kind of – you have to bastardize it. I, I don't necessarily know I would choose that word, but I, I know what you mean. You kind of, I like to say it's watered down. you got to kind of water it down for the masses. That just seems to be – how messages spread in a broad fashion. Otherwise, it sits there and waits for more inquisitive and um, determined people to go seek it out. Uh, so why that is, I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily know I, I know that. Um, I think it has something to do with um, societal programming and uh, how perceptions are shaped as opposed to uh, maybe what they could be. Um, uh, yeah, so, mm -hmm. yeah. By the way, folks, Bill Burns was on the show, www.nightfrightshow.com. That's in the archives along with Stan Friedman. Um, eventually, when we talk about this subject, we talk about the cover-up that's going on at a governmental level. And eventually, when you talk about that subject, you have to ask why. What is the fear of not letting this information flow freely amongst the population? Well, you can look at it a number of ways. Uh, I think the, the people that are suppressing the information have something to lose. I think that's a pretty basic uh, universal thing. They're protecting something. Um, I like uh, what researcher William Lynn has to say, and that's uh, that all the UFOs are really just stolen Nikola Tesla technology, that uh, when we see a UFO, it's just our secret government or 
whoever the black ops program is doing experiments trying to advance that technology I'm not disputing that. I think that's part of it as well. And Nikola Tesla, yeah. folks, uh, he had. Well, do you want to tell the folks a brief synopsis about? He, he's in the book as well, folks. That's right. Right, right. I do a, a good section on advanced technology yeah. and explore some Tesla and some Wilhelm Reich um, and uh, uh, some others. And uh, Tesla himself could be considered the man if you want to talk about uh, having invented free energy um, uh, in the early 1900s and. Uh, uh, turning the earth into a capacitor uh, using the ionosphere and some kind of mechanism I can't really explain in too much detail right now. Uh, but this guy was advanced. And um, he had this uh, special laboratory on Long Island called Wardenclyffe. Mm -hmm. And the building itself was like a giant antenna. And basically what he, I don't know if he stumbled onto it, I don't remember the exact uh, situation, but he was literally discovering time travel. And, and so this is why... Uh, it's not just William Lynn. Um, I don't necessarily agree that there are no aliens, as William Lynn propounds, um, that they're all government craft. Um, but I think that's definitely a big chunk of it. Agreed. Um, but I, I, I like you. I, I'm with you on this. I think there's something right. else besides that. Right. Um, but other researchers also point to uh, Nikola Tesla's technology as uh, being secreted away and um, uh, used to start the Montauk Project, which right there on Long Island. So it wasn't a short distance that they had to smuggle any equipment. Yeah. Um, and of course, that opens up a huge can of worms. Um, if you've talked to Stuart Swerdlow or Preston Nichols or Al Bielik, um, any of these kind of individuals, Duncan Cameron, uh, this just wild story unfolds. Uh, the Montauk Project's book series is still, to me, one of the best book series I've read ever. Whether it's fiction or nonfiction, I don't really know. Um, but it's fun to move along and try to cross-reference some of the information that comes out of there. And uh, because, you know, let's face it, some of these questions that we ask in ufology and even in life, what is life? Why are we here? We may never consciously know the answers to those questions. So all we can really do is keep cross-referencing and trying to see a pattern that comes out. You know, unless an answer jumps right out, you got to look for a pattern. Because the Montauk Project is also mentioned in your book it's a great book folks i'm not kidding all this stuff he's talked about so far it's in this book uh ufo a ufo hunter's guide our guest tonight brett luter uh com. click on tonight's guest book cover and it'll get right to a place where you can order the book from the comfort of your own home can you tell the folks a little bit about the montauk project yeah it's uh, one of my favorite subjects to study because it involves everything mm -hmm. uh uh, I've had extensive conversations with Stuart Swordlow. He's one of the, you know, self-propounded survivors of the Montauk Project. How you go research and and uh, confirm that, I'm not quite sure. So until someone can figure out how to do that, we guys kind of got to take him at his word. And and uh, I've met with Stuart on a number of occasions, as well as talked to him on the phone. And um, I'll tell you what, he's told me some stuff about myself that I'm not really willing to reveal, some personal stuff. That just made me really raise an eyebrow. Okay, this guy's this guy's onto something. He's from somewhere. He's a unique individual for sure. So as a journalist, you know, meeting this guy for the first time, you know, you're skeptical, but you're trying to keep an open mind. Um, as time goes on, I've I've got to cross-reference a bit of his work, and I've got to see some of the things he's talked about in mind control victims in my own life, and uh, it, it's pervasive. This whole mind control thing. So. More and more, as I study his work, more and more things turn out to be true or to fit the pattern that I see. 
And so in other words, we're seeing the same pattern. So as a journalist, for me, that's enough to move forward with that. Okay, if he's having the same perceptions I am, that's about the best I can hope for, really. And I'm going to move forward and, and keep trying to cross-reference, that kind of thing. Uh, How do you discern you're, – you're a very good writer, by the way. How do you discern between what you feel is hogwash, bunk, if you will? It must be a very fine line you have to walk. And you had mentioned the Montauk Project and what you consider is solid, solid evidence. How do you discern between the two to, well, to include it in the book? Right. You know, if you if you study law at all, there's a maxim: you can't really prove anything in court. You only have evidence that suggests things. Mm. So, with that in mind, uh, again, you can never really know something. Mm-hmm. You build a case with evidence to suggest a certain uh, end result or or outcome. Um, you know, with that in mind, you can add to that the the knowledge that we discussed earlier about how easy it is, easy it is to manipulate the human. Uh, the mental capacity with simple EM fields or, you know, any number of things. And and then, uh, you know, I think David Icke has done a really good treatise on the five senses as well as uh, Robert Anton Wilson, who used a blade of grass to describe how we really don't see what we think we see. So when you factor all these things together, I ask myself, how can I know anything? <laughs> we're, we're in a pretty precarious situation as human beings, I think. And um, how are we supposed to take that? What, well, you know, what are we supposed to make of that? And uh, you know, many, many people say this is just a big school. Um, but in terms of ufology, I just go by the, the credo, I guess, that I'm not really trying to prove anything. I'm just trying to collect data to try to build a picture, um, I guess, first for myself, which is where this all started, my own enthusiasm to, to know more about what was going on here. But in the end, when you realize that the powers that be who we as the people have given a certain portion of our own personal power to, to handle questions like this, they, you know, these people that we trust with our own power, they've kind of dropped the ball. And for whatever reason, they're, whatever they're protecting, they're not going to give us the answer. So I realized as myself, I wanted to have the tools to figure this out myself. So I figured there was going to be a few people out there that might feel the same way. And so that's really what's gone into my book. Um, you're searching really for your own truth in the end. And, and if you can help people find their own truth after that, I think that's just icing on the cake. Have you found that truth? Is there something that resonates, resonates inside of you more than anything else? Well, more and more, I, it's, it's about looking within. And, um, you know, I've written about UFOs uh, quite a bit for the last 10 years, um, but I've only really researched one case officially, and that's this uh, UFOs and Bigfoot case that I'm working on. And I've been doing some um, field research a- in the backyard of Kiwani Lapsaritis. Um, I met him in 2007 at the Bay Area UFO Expo that year in Santa Clara, California, and asked him if he wanted to do or if he would be willing to do a video segment with me, much like we're doing now, for my second DVD set. And he paused for a minute, kind of looked up, rolled his eyes around, came back and said, okay, they said you're okay. Let's, let's go ahead and do the interview. Huh. So uh, he was apparently asking his Sasquatch guides right then. So we did the interview. It was a great interview. Um, one of the best ones on the set, stacked with giants like Jordan Maxwell, Michael Cremo, Bill Burns, and others. Um, he invited me up to, the, to his place to possibly have a contact experience. So, and he said that they, his Sasquatch guides, invited me, that I checked out first preliminary checkout 
uh, and uh, they invited me up. Go ahead. I was going to ask you the Sasquatch. You know, um, just did a show um, featuring um, uh, wolf, wolf, uh, werewolves, and um, Jane. I had interviewed Jane Goodall, and she believes in Sasquatch as well. She says there's enough evidence from indigenous folks right around the world to warrant an, a true investigation. She said there's something there. So. My idea of a Sasquatch, of course, is your traditional Bigfoot, uh, the big furry beast, if you will. Is this um, the same type of creature that he was referring to? Kawani says that there's seven species on the planet. Uh -huh. And maybe the lowest form of them is what we would call a Yeti. They're more animal-like and wild, unpredictable, and of course very powerful, but still with a, a, a very great mental capacity. Mm -hmm. You know, this information, according to Kawani, comes from the more intelligent species, the ancient ones, as he reversed them to. Um, the, the regular Sasquatch, um, as, as he describes, is what's more commonly seen, is not quite as intelligent, not quite as civilized, but is right up there on the scale next to the ancient ones. And they oftentimes work together, according to Kiwani. Um, the ancient ones, according to Kiwani, have more of a human face. Whereas the Sasquatches are, are more, not ape-like, but definitely not human. Uh, more, more hairy, I guess you could say. Whereas the ancient ones, are, that actually would be missing hair on their face. They'd be, it would look more human. So, um, so you know, to get, as a journalist, to, to, you know, I'm at the UFO Expo in the first place because I'm fascinated about this stuff. I'm kind of tired of people saying that they're just a bunch of crazy guys getting anal probed with wearing tinfoil hats and... You know what I mean? And it's okay to laugh about stuff when you don't understand it, and that much is okay. But when you keep that stuff ongoing, it gets childish and unproductive. So I go there myself. You know, so I'm, I'm getting my mind blown already because I've done that for a couple years. And then I run into this guy, Kawani Lapsaritis, and I would recommend his books um, vehemently for anyone even remotely interested in uh, Sasquatch as well as ufology. Um, so as a journalist, I couldn't resist. He invites me up there. I go up there in the summer of 2009, and um, I get there a little late. It's in central Washington, and uh, he invites me to dinner. We go to this nice little Mexican place. I forget what little town is, is there. Carnations around the area, I think. And um, says that I'd probably better have a drink or two. So I say, okay, you're probably right. Because just the thought of this Sasquatch, right, is uh, if you're confronted with one, most people get scared. And um, as I was preparing for this, he said that was the big issue with them, is that they don't like being around people that were scared of them. It kind of like was an insult to them, just like a, a human being would be around uh, maybe a, a skittish dog. You, you reach down to pet it, and it's you know cowers away, and you just you don't have anything against it, but you just don't want to be around it. And he says that's a big issue with them. So. Hmm. My, my first night there, um, you know, we went to his house, and it was pitch black, about 11 o'clock at night. We're sitting on his porch, and, you know, within five minutes, things starts hooting at us from the forest. And it just, I gripped my chair for a split second. I thought about running. And um, he said, the next day, he said he wished he could uh, see the look on my face. <laughs> but it was pitch black. But uh, it hooted three times. And it was kind of like an owl, except way more powerful, and had a fuzzy kind of a psychedelic trail off at the end, which was kind of weird. I've never heard that kind of a sound before. Um, not that that's really any kind of adding to credibility or anything. I'm no zoologist or anything. Um, 
but uh, then whatever it was went around the back side of the house and did it again three times. And then within, like, say, a 15-minute period, it came around to a third spot or closer to the front again and did it again. So it was uh, three sets of three, uh, nine times completion. Magic is one of the things I study pretty heavily, different magical spiritual traditions from around the world and throughout time. Um, that's a universal hello or initiation or consecration three times. You know, the judge always hits the gavel three times right. before it becomes official. Mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, that's why they wear the black robe. They're magicians, really. That's a whole different subject. Um, but to be at this guy's house for 15 to 20 minutes and have this happen, I could have went home right then and say he delivered on his promise because I, it felt so real to me. Mm -hmm that uh, it must be like what an abductee feels like when they have an experience and then someone tries to tell them that what they experienced wasn't real. I'll tell you right now, you could try to figure out how that was hoaxed, and I would just tell you good luck because yeah. whatever it was, and I didn't see it was a Sasquatch, but whatever it was was talking to us from close proximity, I would guess 30 to 50 feet, into the dense forest um and and uh wow i had to keep i had to keep coming back so i've been there two more times since i've had multiple experiences um and finally in 2011 in october after uh, audio tests i call them where they'll they'll perform like giant trees crashing in the forest mm -hmm. to try to startle you um and then i had the um something scraping on the top of my tent really quick, like a flick, like a fingernail on canvas kind of a sound. And finally this time I didn't flinch. And the next morning Kiwani said that they, they finally said that I, I was okay and had a good heart. So, I was going to ask you, do you still... Years, initiation right there. I was going to ask you, you said that they're very uncomfortable when someone is afraid of them. It sounds like as they're getting closer to you, you're less and less afraid of them. Maybe, are you still afraid of them? No. Um, matter of fact, even from the first weekend, um, I wanted to see one. Hmm. And I had an experience on the, on the morning of the day I was leaving, three days later, Please. Um, where I was putting my tent together and I was thinking to myself, wow, I'm kind of disappointed that it didn't happen. You know, I heard a lot of stuff, heard the hoots multiple times. Mm -hmm. um, one morning I heard them, multiple beings, what it perceived to me, what it looked like to me, hooting back and forth over pretty far distances which was really fascinating. Mm. Um, so, but I was disappointed, you know, I really wanted to see one. I really felt I was ready. And up from the back of Kiwani's house is a, is a, uh, uh, about a 45 degree slope, uh, covered in leaves and thick underbrush and trees that leads down to a swamp and there's no paths or bike paths or anything there. Um, he does live in a neighborhood, but the neighborhoods are very, you know, greened out with uh, tree, thick trees and, uh, and brush. And there was a shushing as if footsteps were coming up the leafy side of the hill. And I de distinctly heard this. And, and so I had to take a deep breath and realize that this is my moment. And um, stood up and turned around and um, walked about five steps to this uh, to the side of this little woodshed that was between uh, Kiwani's house uh, it was I was between it and Kiwani's house and then right next to this woodshed is this little path that led about five feet into the brush and stopped so I kind of walked right in there and I swear I saw 
shushing come up. Leaves will come up one step. Leaves will come up the next. Happen three times. And again, I'm looking up and down, three expecting to see something. Mm-hmm. And then out pops a, an orange robin from the leaves. Wow. And and so you know, I still I'm, I'm pretty blown away by thinking about that. You know, and I just I ran that by Kawani, and he thinks that more than likely that was a, a Bigfoot, and it shapeshift, shapeshifted into a, a, a robin. It was just a, another of their many tests. A symbolism. What, what does a robin symbolize to you when you saw it? Sometimes if a shapeshifting takes place and you're seeing it, um, it's meant to, to give you a message. Is that possible in this case? I, I think absolutely that the Sasquatch are ritual beings just like humans they're and in fact that they are a branch of humanity um, and yes symbolism is rife when you go through some of the Sasquatch material I haven't even been through a lot of the Sasquatch material written out there but you can tell that they respond to symbolism and uh, so absolutely I think the bird of course what's the symbolism of the bird flying to higher levels um, spiritual enlightenment. That's why the dove is on the, you know, above the halo in um, Christian art, um, or, or um, the Native Americans revere the thunderbird or any other type of bird, um, because of its ability to to fly higher than the normal human, say. <laughs> and so, yeah, I do take that as a symbol, especially after being there two more times after that, two more three-day trips after that, uh, where. That's the journey that I'm on. To, to reduce the fear inside myself is to increase love inside my heart and also to advance myself. And it's really the fear that each individual holds in their heart that holds them back. And it really just boils down to that. It's, it's there's love and then there's a lack of love. A lack of love is fear. So you remove the fear and love like spills in like water. And it's with this kind of, with these kinds of thoughts, and with a, a loving, peaceful uh, heart, that Kawani says, and it's the protocol that I'm following and exploring in my own field research, um, that I'm taking out into the forest, and hopefully we'll be able to carry on uh, Kawani's work uh, long after he's gone. You know, he's he's pushing 70. He's getting up there. I like to tease him a little bit, but uh, he's done a wonderful job pioneering or helping to pioneer this whole philosophy of interaction with these creatures. Thank you for for telling the audience that and myself as well. That was incredible. Uh, Folks, the book is called A UFO Hunter's Guide. Our great guest tonight, I've just been glued to this seat, mesmerized. I should have taken, not a break, but a few minutes ago, I should have said, if you're just joining us, um, I usually do it at the bottom of the hour. Uh, If you're just joining us, folks, stick around. We're talking about UFOs all night and all things esoteric. Sit down in your comfy chair. Put your feet up. Get the coffee going, tea going, a beverage of your choice. Relax. This is your time um, to entertain yourself and perhaps learn something from our guest tonight. Brett Luter's our guest. www.nightfrightshow. Just click on tonight's guest book cover. That'll take you right to a spot where you can order the book from the comfort of your own home. Tonight's a great night to do that too, folks. Brett, that was uh, astounding, my friend. Absolutely astounding. And... um, continued success on your journey i mean you're obviously on to something there because for a bird to appear to you and you're you know i have them appear to me every now and then it sounds a little hocus pocusy but that's not what i'm trying to say there's a lot of symbolism in nature when things are trying to communicate basic ideas to us Uh, for example i have flying dreams all the time 
And this is something that, uh, when you mentioned the bird, I thought right away, well, listen, you know, it's raising you up spiritually and uh, giving you this little gift, this insight to say that you're on the right path. And uh, way to go. Nice job. Um, Let's talk about something called cosmic contracts, if you will, because this took me by surprise. I didn't know this, this even existed. Well, this kind of bleeds into my my overarching work that I think I'll be working on for the rest of my life, at least off and on, and that is what is magic. And um, the way I describe magic, I don't think anyone else has described it quite like me. I I talk about it in my first book, Song in Your Heart, the story of the search for the lost note. It's basically about the role of the Roots Reggae Rastas, um, a a faction, a subgroup of the Rastas as I describe them. Um, that uh, realize that the time to fight is over and what they really are in the battle of is a magical battle of symbols and intentions and then how you perform your rituals. And so what these Roots Reggae Rasta guys do is they use ritual, symbolism, and intention just like every other spiritual tradition or religion or secret society uh, ceremony or Native American ceremony, whatever. It's all the same three tools and they're used really for one purpose and that's to bind energy in one way or another. And so, really, that's what magic is. It's three tools, and these three tools are used to bind energy or, de- or to bind energy, to deflect other energy, or to not bind energy. And what bindings are, really, are contracts. And so that's what you see in the material world, are a series of bindings. And that's what, that's what humans, how they manifest the, just the mon- mundane events in their own lives. And so, um, gosh, I could really talk about this for hours. But so what, what it boils down to is that um, many spiritual traditions talk about how we are bound in the flesh. So what does that say? You're, they're using the B word. It's a binding. We are under contract here on earth. And so what I talked about in my very first workshop at the Bay Area UFO Expo in 2008, uh, titled The Magical Mystical Contract, was that part of our job here, uh, uh, as uh, other than uh, growth on many different levels, mm-hmm. is to figure out what our contract is, what are the terms of our contract, and then take it over and write our own contract. And, and what that really boils down to is immortality. And so we're under certain constraints down here, but yet what I see is, is that, you know, you read ancient texts, human beings used to live to be a lot older um, and it's not just the Bible, but even in the Bible, they, you know, it's been edited as much as it has. Even the, in it, it allots humans 120 years, and few of us reach that level now. And so my, my big hypothesis is that people have forgotten the usage of ritual symbolism and intention because it's the symbols that you hold in your mind with the intentions of why you hold them there mm-hmm. and how you act those symbols out in the real world is how you manifest what you goals in your life you know it's just uh, when you write down a set of goals on a piece of paper you're spelling that's just, you're, I mean that's you're doing magic right there you're putting symbols on paper with the intention to manifest something um, <clears throat> so in terms of a spiritual contract you know a lot of them are really obvious I think I think part of our contract is we have free will mm. and um, right would you not agree that seems to be in uh, many spiritual traditions that that's the highest rule is free will um, and um, I think one of the other parts of, of many people's contract is that you can't remember previous lifetimes hmm. um, you know so I think in order to learn this is my speculation in order to learn here um, 
we, we can't, we'll advance too quickly, we'll get through school too quick if we know what our previous lessons were. But if we kind of come into this incarnation al fresco, so to speak, mm -hmm. and have to relearn it all, it kind of, there's something about the struggle, I think it is, that kind of builds that fortitude. Again, you're kind of looking back at the Billy Meyer story as an example. Yeah. You've got to be tough to get to where you need to go. And starting over is enough to make anyone, you know, give them fits, you know. Just one lifetime's enough. Uh, then as an old teacher of mine used to like to say, what we're here for is to find the book. Where did we put our book from the last lifetime? We must have been smart enough to know this and then hide a book somewhere mm -hmm. And then we're going to, in this lifetime, figure out where that is and go back and find it. And then we can catch up and cheat. Um, That's funny. Do you think at one point in our evolution, we will become the teachers and no longer be the students? No, because we're oh. already teachers and we're already students. And that relationship yes. is, is enduring as far as I can foresee. Okay. That's we're always learning and we're always teaching on whatever level we are. We have examples to show uh, beings uh, lower than us, and we also have reminders for beings ahead of us. And, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, and it was a really nice compliment about uh, how that book, my book, is uh, really great for beginners, and I would agree with you totally. But at the same time, just so you know, uh, while it would be, I think, less likely for a really advanced uh, student to, to be wanting my book, at the same time, uh, you ask any good researcher, and they'll tell you you can never be reminded of the basics enough. Agreed. Especially when it comes to interviewing and treating people right and that kind of thing, being open and respectful and courteous to people. And so, and then it's encapsulated in such a small thing that even an advanced researcher could find it useful just because they could keep it with them and it's not that cumbersome. And it's got a wide variety of stuff in it. So, you know, I, let while me I would plug agree the with book. you at the same time, it's for everyone. That's, that was the intention. So. Okay, let me plug the book. Folks, the book is called A UFO Hunter's Guide. Our guest tonight, Brett Luter. It's Sightings, Abductions, Hotspots, Conspiracies, Cover-Ups, the, unidentif the Identified and Unidentified, and more. Easy way to get it, as always, folks. www.nightfrightshow.com. Click on tonight's guest book cover. That'll take you right to a spot. You can order it in the comfort of your own home. Let's continue. You had interviewed Stan Friedman, and so had I. There's something very special about that man. Sure. Um, gee whiz, you know, I am just drawn. I could sit and listen to him for hours. Uh, what were your impressions of Stan? And uh... Well, I'm very grateful to Stan because he, you know, took the time on several different occasions to talk to a newbie, you know. Um, of course, my in was that I was a journalist, you know, writing for... Uh, any number of publications up here in the Chico area, like the Chico News and Review, or Magical Blend was up here for a while. There's some other publications up here. Um, or I, he's on my first DVD set, and I talked for about 45 minutes without a, a blink of an eye. I didn't hesitate to agree. And so I'm very grateful for a, a man of his intellect and experience to take the time. you know. And this is, this is a hallmark of some of the best investigators, is taking the time to help the new people to see what it really is and to kind of dispel some of the myths. Now, my conversation with uh, Stanton is it just loaded with information. I mean, I got a wealth of new books out of them, the books that I hadn't heard of. Uh, Shoot Them Down, I think, by Frank Fraschino was one of the books he mentioned. Um, what a great book. There's a whole book documenting military dogfights with UFOs. So, you know... That's pretty compelling, whether they're our own craft, which it could be if they're engaging our own boys in fights, you know, our own gals, whatever, in fights, um, or, or are they trying to avoid us 
and our aggressiveness. That's uh... Well, Brett, I'm going to stop you there because that's a really good segue to something I want to discuss with you. Sure. We had both been talking about um, the bene benevolence that they come back down with uh, the ab alien abductions. Is there malevolent aliens out there that want to bring us harm? I, I think so, um, but I try to stay away from the whole good versus evil uh, dichotomy. I tend to side with Michael Tessarian um, uh, that that evil is is a kind of a genetic implant. It's a, a genetic bent towards self-destruction, hmm. and that that when we experience evil, it's just a perception based on this genetic proclivity. What I what, what I like to use is the metaphor of us and the cows. Do cows think we're evil? for eating them. I know that we don't think they're necessarily good or evil necessarily. We probably as humans think they're good because they nourish us. So when you look at human society and you look to the, the scholarship done on society as a prison and that the architects of our prison are the reptilians or any number of other species, maybe even a, a group of species in contract with each other. Um, their lifestyle is just not conducive to a human lifestyle. How we perceive that is based on what's inside of us. And so I try to look at it as like, uh, as, the, as the impersonal observer, say, as, as many spiritual traditions teach. Cultivate your impersonal observer. Take your emotions out of it and try to see it from a neutral perspective, and, and more information comes to light. It's not clouded by your emotional perceptions and preconceived notions. And so I try to see uh, that relationship of, of a, a controllers over humanity in the sense that they really don't intend us harm. We are to them just a lower life form, which they are cultivating for their own sustenance and or well-being in some form. So, okay. so yeah, you could, we can look at it as they're trying to hurt us, but at the same time, what we're really doing is trying to feed ourselves, if, say, in respect to the cows. You know, God bless cows for being there for me. But then I turn around and I see animal rights activists show pictures of how cows are treated, and I'm, my God, I'm compelled. I can't believe that that's what they have to go through for me to be, to have food, you know? And, and so it's a, it's a really weird situation. Am I, am I evil now because I'm eating the cow and treating him that way? I, gosh, I really hope not. Um, but it's the same, you know, it's a fractal universe, as above, so below. As we're treating the cows, we ourselves are being treated. And um, Zechariah Sitchin liked to say that we were just mimicking, as our society's mimicking as children, what our parents' society was. And that's the Anunnaki society. We, so, had, we had touched on Planet X. Do you believe that Planet X is coming soon? 2012 is looming ever closer. December 21st, 2012 is looming ever closer. What are your perspectives on that? I don't think anything's going to happen on that day specifically, um, other than I, I think that's the day that the, uh, the charter for the bankers comes up. And if they can get it renewed for another 100 years, uh, we're all screwed. Is that right? Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, some, some big uh, uh, contract comes up on huh. December 21st, 2012, and it has to do with banking and world finance. And so, so all I really know is that the uh, Mayan calendar turns over, and it's not just that calendar. There's several cycles that are turning over in the Mayan cosmology. Um, so a lot of this stuff that's being generated, I, I don't know. Is it, is it 
Is it disinformation? Is it trying to uh, create a self-fulfilling prophecy? Understanding magic, you know, you get people focusing on one thing, one symbol, with a certain intention that they think destruction is going to happen. Next thing you know, it's a, it manifests itself because we're we're holding those symbols in our head, and um, and so I do think there is spiritual change happening, and I and I do I do see especially women. We're all affected, but I've especially seen women in my life. We'll just say because maybe that's something to do with me. I'll just be honest. Um, kind of freaking out a bit hmm. and not knowing what's happening to them. And um, and I'm looking at that, and, and you study the several traditions, you see the feminine energies coming back. You know, us guys have been in control for a long time, and it's uh, we're going to be giving up the reins, apparently, in one way or another for a more balanced kind of, a, of an existence. So, you know, I just wonder if this is if this, that energy moving in individual women and Maybe. in manifesting in different ways depending on how each each woman's heart is configured at that time you know what where are they in their inner house cleaving so to speak and it affects men too so don't let me leave the men out but i i just seem to be noticing more recently um women being affected it's well there (laughs) no that you've answered it very very well actually uh women um i've always been taught that women are in in intrinsically connected to God, if you will, that creative force, whereas men have to come through it through rituals. So that makes perfect sense, what you're saying. Yeah, that's in Judaism, by the way. That's in in the Torah. I studied Torah for a little while. Yeah. So as above, below, you know, the the Jewish symbol is two triangles upside down. It's exactly what that represents, as above, so below. There you go. Yeah. Um, Brett, what are we going to make it as a species? Um, That's a profound question, but... Okay, yeah. Well, a part of the title of my uh, volume two in my uh, uh, trilogy called Esoteric Guide to the Reggae Vibe, I described the first book that's out already earlier. The second book, which I'm writing now, is going to be called um, Tales of a Heavy Heart, UFOs, Magic, and Impending Doom. Mm -hmm. And now the impending doom part is what I'm referring to uh, toward your question. Uh, I talked with J.J. Hurtak and Desiree Hurtak. Um, they were very, very nice to me. We met in Los Gatos, and they bought me lunch, and I got to talk to them for almost three hours. Um, basically, what J.J. Hurtak talks about in the Pista Sophia and also the Keys of Enoch is that no matter how hard human beings try to fail, we are doomed to perfection. So however, you know, however hard we want to screw up however long we want to make it take we're going to get there so whether whether we blow up this planet or not some people are going to apparently go off planet there's probably people off planet already to seed another civilization the experiment's just going to, going to continue so yeah i think we're going to make it whether we make it in this on this planet at this time God, I hope so. I'd yeah, like to think too. that uh, we're, we're not going to succumb to the victim or, or uh, pack mentality uh, and the victim mentality, I guess, too, uh, again, because I think it's the same old game. Brett, we've got to start to wrap up now, but I want to thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. I can't believe an hour's gone by already. That's yeah, what happens, yeah. folks, when you get a good guest on with Profound Thinker and Brett is definitely one. I've learned a lot tonight. And you will too from this book, A UFO Hunter's Guide, www.nightfrightshow.com. Our guest tonight's been Brett Luter. He's the author of the book, 
click on tonight's guest book cover. That'll take you right to a spot where you can order the book from the comfort of your own home. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time. Thank you.